closer to rise and follow Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text is the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. <laughs> well, brothers and sisters, he's off to the synagogue in Capernaum. He's there with Peter and Andrew and James and John. It's a holy day, a holiday, if you will. He steps right up to the plate, and as the text says, he teaches. He teaches the Word of God. And the text says that everyone is astonished at what Jesus teaches because he teaches them as one who has authority, not like the scribes. <laughs> you see, what distinguished Jesus from the scribes is that Jesus didn't use credentials, no footnotes. A scribe credentialed his teaching by his teacher. You know, I was taught by Rabbi Cohen and so-and-so, who was taught by Rabbi Dershowitz and so-and-so, and on and on and on, all the way back to Moses. A scribe's teaching was only as good as his ordination papers, proving that his teachers went all the way back to Moses. Did you know that? But not so with Jesus. You've heard it said by people long ago, but I say to you, such teaching the people had not heard since Moses and the prophets. Jesus, his teaching came with the full blast authority of the Lord, and there's no higher authority than the Lord, not even Moses. And so to hear Jesus is to hear it straight from God. His words are God's words. His teaching, God's teaching. And that's why his teaching astounded the people who heard it. Now the Greek word in the text for teaching is didache. Perhaps you've heard me use that. How do you have over the years? The Latin is doctrina. The English? What do you think the English is? Doctrine. Not just amazing grace, but amazing <laughs> doctrine. Some, of course, misguidedly think that doctrine is a dirty word. I hear it all the time as a pastor. People say, the Bible is what unites doctrine divides. That's what they always say to us Missouri Senate Lutherans. Or they'll say, we teach no doctrine but the Bible. Sounds like it's straight from the Lord. The trouble with that way of thinking is that the Bible is doctrine, and it was written for the purpose of, as we see in the text, teaching doctrine. And so if you aren't teaching doctrine, then you aren't teaching what? You're not teaching the Bible. Now, we're not told precisely what Jesus was teaching that day in the text, but it did amaze the people. St. Mark doesn't provide the manuscript that Jesus used, but he did give us the basic outline, which we heard last week from Mark's Gospel, when Jesus in his first sermon said, Repent and believe the good news of God. Yes, Jesus said repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The law applied lawfully, the gospel applied evangelically, is the doctrine of Jesus which totally, no doubt, amazed the people. Where the doctrine of Christ is there who will surely also be at work. Who do you think? Well, what happens in the text? The devil and his demons are sure to be there working their mischief. There is nothing the devil despises more than what? What do you think? Doctrine, teaching. There is nothing more dangerous to the devil and his demons than for people to know what they believe about Christ and why they believe it. 
And so immediately, in the synagogue at Capernaum, a man with an unclean spirit cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You see, the devil saves his greatest mischief for inside the church where the word and the sacraments are going on, where Christ and the forgiveness of sins are going on. The devil even sounds religious while he's at it. Oh, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. It sounds like pious praise, but it's really devilish distraction. You see, if you know your Bibles, you know that the devil disguises himself, as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the devil disguises himself as a what? Do you know this? as an angel of light, and he disguises his ministers as servants of righteousness. That's what St. Paul says. Or another way that Jesus says it in the New Testament, and Paul piggybacks on it, is that they are wolves in sheep's clothing, complete with deceptive signs and wonders that look so much like what? The real thing. But not every spirit is of the Holy Spirit, and not all pious-sounding praise comes from God. Holy One of God. Oh, Jesus surely is that, but not in the way that the demons proclaim him. The devil's desire in Mark 1 at Capernaum and the devil's desire still to this day is to always separate Christ from what? Boom! The cross. To short-circuit what? Calvary. To let the cat out of the bag ahead of time to prematurely let out the secret about who Jesus was and why he had come before his hour of glory, before his being handed over to be crucified and then rising from the dead. You see, that's what lies behind the devil's temptation of Jesus to turn stones into bread, to feed himself, to jump off the top of the temple, to worship Satan in exchange for the glory of the kingdoms of this world. Yes, the devil's temptation was for Jesus to be a power and glory savior, <laughs> an end justifies the means kind of Christ instead of that kind of Christ. You remember from reading your Bibles that Peter himself unwittingly stepped into Satan's shoes by trying to keep Jesus from what? Going to the cross. You remember that Jesus had told his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and in three days rise again. Peter wanted no such crucified Christ. You remember he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. That must never happen to you, Peter said. And Jesus then turned and rebuked Peter instead. And he said, you're not talking in God's talk. You're like Satan to me. Get behind me, Satan. In St. Mark, only, read Mark carefully, in Mark's gospel, only when Jesus hangs dead on the cross does Jesus then permit himself publicly to be called the Son of God. And then it is done by whom? Peter? Nope. Matthew? Nope. Mary? Nope. Who's, who confesses it in Mark's gospel? A Gentile centurion. On the, on the cross, Jesus is most Son of God, most Holy One of God for you and for your salvation. 
So in the text, with a word, Jesus silences the demon in the synagogue. Be quiet, he says. It's the same word, word that Jesus uses to silence the wind and the waves that threatened to swallow up the disciples' little boat during a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Literally, the Greek means, be muzzled. And then says, come out of him. Now, Jesus, of course, sounds a bit like someone scolding a naughty puppy for chewing up the curtains or the shoes. You see, the demons, or any demon for that matter, is really no threat to Jesus. A few little words is all that it takes to bring the devil and his minions into line. <laughs> Though devils all fill the world, all eager to devour us, we tremble not, we fear no ill, they shall not overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none, he's judged, the deed is done. One little word can fell him. You know those words, it's from a mighty fortress. The littleness of that word that fells the devil accents the authority that lies behind the word, our Lord's authority. Jesus doesn't need many words or impressive exorcisms or displays of mighty power. The only frightful thing in the synagogue was when the unclean spirit caused this poor man to convulse and scream. I warn you, uh, forget what you may have picked up by watching television, Netflix, or the movies from old like The Exorcist when it comes to being demon-possessed. That only happens in Hollywood, on TV, and publications that you buy at the grocery store or Walmart. The description in St. Mark is more like a little two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum in the grocery store. Have you ever seen that? I have. In the end, the demons must obey the word of Jesus because Jesus is Lord even over the devil and all his demons. Such authority, as the text says, astounded the people in the synagogue even more. They said, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him? Huh. There is a hint of fear and awe here where the people once feared the the demons, now they fear the Lord. And in the fear of the Lord, there is, as you know from your Bibles, with the fear of the Lord, there's the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the end of all fear, because the Lord is greater than the devil and the demons. This was not simply persuasive preaching by the Lord. This was doctrine that silences the devil and his minions. And even if the demons obey his word, what is there left that Jesus cannot do without or with his word? He can change water into wine, you remember. He can calm the wind and the waves with his word. He cleanses lepers. He lifts a paralyzed man from his bed. He raises the dead. He forgives sin, sins, and he declares sinners to be saints with his word. You see, our Lord's word makes simple water holy water, holy baptism, the washing of regeneration, a renewal and rebirth by the Holy Spirit. His word, which you will hear in a few minutes, simply makes bread and wine his own body and blood that was shed on Calvary. His word works the miracle of faith in us and delivers to us the forgiveness of sins and life. It is a divine word that comes with the full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom alone has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, who exercised the authority given him by uh, giving his life in exchange for the world, for you, 
and for me. Our Lord's word comes backed up with what? That. His death on the cross. The cross is our Lord's authority in action. And so when he casts out demons in Mark 1 with his word, it is already in view of what? His death on the cross by which he achieves the final victory over sin, death, and the devil. Whenever and wherever Christ's word is heard, it is in view of his Good Friday death by which he won the salvational victory for every one of us. Oh, this means that for us, the word of forgiveness that the Lord speaks to his church today through a fool named Kuhlman can be heard with the full authority of the crucified and risen Christ. When you heard the words this morning, I forgive you all your sins, those words came to you fully authorized by who? By the one who died and rose again for your sins. It's not Kuhlman's eye, but Christ's. It's not my word, but Christ's word. It's not my forgiveness, it's Christ's forgiveness. It's not Kuhlman's authority to forgive, but Christ's. Nor is it Kuhlman's doctrine, or Trinity Murdoch's doctrine, or even Lutheran doctrine. <laughs> it's Christ's doctrine, his teaching, his voice, his word that is to be heard and none other. Such an amazing word, such an amazing doctrine. It silences the demons. It brings joy to you, God's people, and shortly his body and his blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. You've got his word on that. In the name of Jesus. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.